0: Thanks for listening to this podcast from Walks Around Britain. For more information, our terms of use, and to click through to see the show notes on our blog with photographs, videos, and links to related sites, please visit walksaroundbutton.co.uk. On the sixth edition of the Walks Around Britain podcast, we get an introduction to walking in the county of Sussex. We catch up with Stuart Jessop, who walked around England. We find out all about Merino and...
1: If you woke up one morning, Andrew, and said, you know what, I can't think of anything I'd like to do more than learn how to keep pigs, you can give me a ring and we'll tell you how to do that.
0: Kate Humble tells us about her farm and her love of the great outdoors. just take up on that. Hello, I'm Andrew Wright and welcome to the 6th Walks Around Britain podcast. It's July and as it's the Great British Summertime, that can only mean as much rain as there is in any other season throughout the year. So if you find yourself stuck inside during a downpour, you can always check up on the latest walking videos on our website at walksroundbritain.co.uk. Now, if you think of great counties to walk in England, you might think of Cornwall, Northumberland, or North Yorkshire. Possibly Sussex might not be on the top of your list, but writer and blogger Tanya Oliver would like you to think again.
2: My name's Tanya Oliver. I have a book coming out in October this year called From High Heels to High Hills. And I've written a lot about Sussex. It's so wonderful and I really want other people to come here and enjoy what it has to offer. I'm just sitting in my garden in East Sussex Birds are in full voice around me and I'm surrounded by maps and leaflets and I'm planning various walks for the coming weeks and weekends. And uh, how I normally start is by going onto the Visit Sussex website to see what's going on, what the different events are, the different sites to go and see, and the local places, and then just basically set out a route to explore. Visit Sussex website is visitsussex.org. Sussex is such a beautiful county and there's so much to see. I feel very lucky to have lived here for 10 years. And Sussex has some really famous areas to walk in, not least the grassy south downs and where they roll away to meet the chalky cliffs at the coast. And obviously there, one of the famous sites is the Beachy Head Lighthouse and the Keep the Stripes campaign is in full flow at the moment to keep the red and white stripes and I think that lighthouse is not just a local icon but a national one as well. And you've got all those coastal walks and of course the South Downs Way which goes all the way from Eastbourne to Winchester. Now I haven't done that all in one go but I have done it in parts and I know some uh, people do it all in one go and it takes in some of the most beautiful countryside and coastland but from doing it all in one go is still on my to-do list. You can do anything from a short walk around Arlington Reservoir which is only about a mile or so and that's actually got a a bird hut on the site where you can try and identify all the different birds you can see and there are helpful pictures of them in the hut to support doing that which I certainly need when I'm there Um, or you can do a longer walk for example around Buell Water which is 13 miles although the last time I did it in my head I thought it was 10 miles and it was a bit of a shock to my system getting to the gate about a third of the way around and seeing it's actually 13 miles. And it's not for the faint-hearted because you know you've walked that far by the end of it. There are really lovely historic sites to see. Uh, castles are one of my particular things and Arundel and Bodium are both beautiful. If you go to Arundel Castle, there's also the Arundel Wetland Centre, which is worth seeing. But Bodium, for me, really epitomises how I picture a castle being with the huge stone walls and the battlements it looks really striking and it's not till you get inside that you see it's actually a ruined castle but there's still enough there to see what castle living would have been like. Because I live in East Sussex I've done more walks around that area but West Sussex is equally beautiful and I'm really looking forward to exploring that more in the future. One of the walks I've done there recently was between Sisbury and Shanktonbury Rings. Now Sisbury Ring Dates back to 250 BC and it's a an Iron Age fort, although to me it looks like a grassy hill. But the earthen fortifications there have got a lot of heritage and history going on. And from the top, and you can walk around the whole of the uh, grassy hill and you can see out to Brighton, the coast, and then you can see all the way to Shanktonbury as well. And it's a three mile walk between the two and it takes you through some lovely countryside and you can see the South Downs and you can see out to the coast. Shanktonbury Ring is actually surrounded by trees, but what I found most interesting about that area was actually the dew pond nearby. I think there are a few, but the one I found, which is a site of special scientific interest, is really near um, Shanktonbury Ring itself. And it was actually formed in the 1870s, created then basically to provide water for livestock and animals. And it was rebuilt in the 1970s and is now looked after by local Group, and it's just fascinating to see that type of history. But again, it gave me a real flavour for how beautiful West Sussex is, and there are lots of great sights to see there. One of my other favourite walks is the Seven Sisters from Burling Gap to Cookmere Haven. Obviously, you can do it the other way round, but I usually do it there and back. And I love seeing actually the Bell Toot Lighthouse, the old lighthouse there, which has actually been moved, I think twice, uh, back from the cliff because of the erosion there. And actually when you're doing the Seven Sisters walk you can take in the cliffs of Beachy Head as well and see right down to the red and white striped lighthouse which was built to replace the Bell Toot lighthouse. And that's just really fascinating walk. And on the information boards at Berlin Gap you can find out all about the history of smuggling in that area. And there's a whole history of that throughout the coastal area, not just in Sussex but the surrounding counties. And that's really interesting to see. So as I sit here studying my maps and listening to the birds still... I guess what I'm really trying to get across is just the variety that Sussex has to offer whether you're here for a half day because you're local you're here for a whole day a week or several weeks there's so much you can see and do and the South Downs National Park part of which is in Sussex was recently created and it just goes to show that the heritage and beauty of this area is definitely worth protecting so if you are planning a visit to Sussex and I would really recommend it I absolutely love it here then do go on to the Visit Sussex website, which is an excellent starting place for anything, not just walking, but accommodation, events, things to see and do, historic sites, anything you can think of. And like I say, use that as a starting point to plan your time here. If you would like to know anything else about my walking, not just in Sussex, but elsewhere, then please do go on to my website, which is heelwalker1.blogspot.com. Really do welcome you to Sussex, and I hope you have a lovely time.
0: Antonia will be taking a walk in Ashdown Forest, in the August edition of the podcast. Mental illness is a problem which touches the lives of many people. Chances are you've either encountered someone suffering from mental health issues, or have suffered yourself. But talking about this immensely common condition isn't easy, and there's still a great stigma attached to it. Well, this was the premise for Stuart Jessop's epic 2,600 mile charity walk around the edge of England over the winter of 2011-12. Stroke And to tell us more about the background and the aims of the walk, Stuart made a recording on his mobile phone for us in the home straight of the walk.
3: Today is Monday the 23rd of May and I am... Sitting on a bench in the country park at the north side of the Humber Bridge, just about to walk across it. You may be able to hear the birds twittering and the uh, hum of traffic in the background. I'm about 2,100 miles into my journey, about 400 miles to go now back to London. I started at the beginning of October from Tower Bridge in London, and I've walked along the south coast around Devon and Cornwall in the middle of winter, then back and up the Welsh borders through to Cumbria, around the Lake District, across the Scottish borders to Berwick-on-Tweed and I'm currently heading back down Tower Bridge in London The WALK is in aid of mental health charities. We're raising money for SANE and Anxiety UK. To date, we've raised about £8,500. But the real purpose of the WALK is to campaign against mental health stigma. It ties in with the initiatives that all of the major mental health charities are engaged in at the moment. To try and make it easier to talk about mental health, to try and reduce some of the taboos around it. I have a personal interest in that I was diagnosed with depression Or rather, I've suffered from depression ever since I was a teenager. I was only diagnosed in my 30s. Like most men, I uh, tried to keep it hidden. I didn't want to admit what was happening. But I have now, over the years, come to terms with what's happening and learnt a little bit about how to manage it and uh, live with the condition. Now, when I started out the walk, I knew from the statistics that one in four people might expect to suffer from a diagnosable mental health condition. But as I've walked around, I've realized that that is real. Almost everyone I talk to, and I've talked to a lot of people as I've gone around, either has a story to tell about themselves, or a friend, or someone in the family who struggled, usually with depression or anxiety. Those are the two most common conditions. Um, And I've talked to mental health groups as I've gone around and done various radio and had a very, very positive response. So I've been really, really pleased about that, that we've been able to do our little bit towards um, helping to make mental health a little bit easier to live with. Most of the time, I'm uh, on my own. And uh, that's posed quite a logistical uh, challenge in the sense that how do I get back at the end of the walk? I've been living in a campervan, uh, a converted Ford Transit, and um, at the end of each day's walk I have to get back to the campervan in order to move on for the next day. I'm aiming to do about 15 miles a day. So I've been using bus and train uh, to get back, which has been quite a logistical exercise, especially in the Devon and Cornwall on the winter schedules. But uh, one week a month my wife Kate who works freelance comes and spends a week with me driving the van and I've also had uh, various uh, friends and family come and help out as well. So that's made life easier. I think the worst of the walk is is over now and uh, now that I'm almost uh, into uh, into Lincolnshire I'm looking forward to uh, finishing the walk. Now I've been doing the whole of the walk with my spring spaniel, Poppy. Uh, we've only had her a year. She's uh, three years old, but she's a failed gun dog. Failed because um, you really have to watch her with pheasants around. She just stops listening to any commands. Uh, although she's a lot better now. She's walked almost the whole distance with me, and uh, she's had a whale of a time. She did miss two weeks because she pulled some ligaments in her tail. We don't know how. But she had to go back to Cambridge, where Kate and I live, for um, a couple of weeks. And was, those two weeks were really very different for, for me because I hardly spoke to anyone. It's very different just being a bloke on his own wandering around with a rucksack to being a dog and her owner. And people stopping to talk to Poppy has been one of the main ways that I have met people along uh, while I've been walking and sometimes had a chat about um, mental health and uh, why I'm doing the walk. And so it's just been a companion companion for me, um, but also a great uh, ambassador for the um, charitable purposes of the walk. And of course, pet owning and being outside in the open air and walking are two of the recommended ways of helping to ease the uh, pain of um, suffering from a a mental health problem. And indeed, I keep a mood diary, and my mood has been better for the duration of this walk than uh, than it has for, for some time. When Kate and I discussed the walk, um, because I've walked for a long, long time, it's been a way of dealing with my depression, and I've done a 200-mile charity walk in the past from the Peak District to the Lake District in aid of my late wife, Margaret, who died of breast cancer. And when Kate and I discussed it, I originally said, well, it's something I might like to do when I retire, but then we've both lost people close to us. Or Kate said, well, just go and do it. You can do it um now i can pay the bills and here i am having um well now in the spring uh a great time i wouldn't say it's been great all the way through the winter nearly got blown off the cliffs in uh, devon and cornwall got struck down with the flu and spent nearly a week uh, holed up in the camper van on a campsite while it was blowing a gale outside um, but hopefully i'm through the worst of it now and, and heading back home again really what we're asking people to do is to just talk about mental health either their own problems or if you know of someone who is struggling, maybe uh, try and lend a listening ear to them and, and, and help them along.
0: Now, since Stuart recorded this, he made it successfully back to Tower Bridge on Sunday, the tenth of June, two thousand and twelve, and to date has raised over eleven thousand pounds for the charities Sane and Anxiety UK to support their work with mental health sufferers. And if you want to find out more about Stuart's Marathon Walk, then there's a link to his website on the show notes for this episode of the podcast on our blog. And you can get to that by clicking through from our homepage at walksroundbritain.co.uk. Now, a while ago, we were updating our very popular Beginner's Guide to Walking page on our website, which you can find at walksroundbritain.co.uk in the menu Walking Info. On the updated page, we mentioned about layering... That's the method of using several thin layers of clothing rather than one thick jumper. And that the base layer, that's the one nearest to your body, is best being a synthetic material. That prompted the good people at Merino Experts' Chocolate Fish Merino in Leeds to get in touch to pick us up on that comment. And I'm pleased to say Amanda Douglas-McCaig from Chocolate Fish joins me now. Hello Amanda.
4: Hello Andrew.
0: So we did you a little bit of a disservice when we said that synthetics were best for clothing. So can you set the record straight?
4: Synthetics have their place. I wear synthetic pants. They're great. They dry quickly because they drip fast. But that's the whole thing. Synthetics, they don't wick. They don't absorb anything. They simply shed moisture, sweat, rain, anything down and let it go. But what they can't do is keep you warm once you're wet and cold. They keep you warm because the knit construction traps air, warm air, that's created by you doing the moving. Right. But if you cannot move for any reason, you become injured, the weather's closed down on you, and you are wet. As your body cools, so does the synthetic. Okay. And then if you get chilled, potential for hypothermia. Wool works totally differently. It basically will absorb an up to 35% of its own weight in moisture before it even begins to feel damp. But it's absorbing that, but it's also letting it go. So it's basically evaporated into the atmosphere at a gentle pace. On the whole, you've got to be really caught in a downpour to feel wet. But it will also continue to keep you warm when it's wet. So if you get stuck, you've got a far better chance of avoiding hypothermia because the wool is working with your body. The other thing synthetics can't do is adjust to changes in temperature. So it's nice and hot at the bottom of the mountain, but it's bloody cold up at the top. (laughs) Wool will work with your body across a much wider range of temperatures. So it'll actually, yes, it's hot and sweaty. It's really hot. But wool, because of that evaporation process, will help you keep cool. Okay. I wear wool in 36 degree temperatures over in southwest France at my sister's place. I also wear it at the top of the mountain where it's dramatic cold. It works. Yeah, you shove on another layer, but you're going to need it in a lot less time because the the wool is constantly works with your body. And for anybody who's doing really sort of running or anything like this, and we've got customers who wear our gear for running marathons, apparently you don't get a runner's nipple wearing superfine merino. Now, now that sounds like something that that (laughs) nobody
0: should ever have.
4: Well, (laughs) actually, runners do get very, very sore nipples because they will wear these horrible synthetic things you know plastic washing up bowls knitted and they're very abrasive and you know they, they often wear them quite loose and that is constantly abrading and irritating so it's really unpleasant anyway
0: not good for the for the nipples then <laughs> now many people's opinion of wool may be tainted by thick chunky itchy jumpers often knitted by their nans
4: yeah except you know you don't usually wear those next to your skin. I'll tell you what tapes people's opinion of merino, worse than anything. The cheap trash coming in from China that is being labelled as superfine merino and isn't. The number of people looking for cheap merino. There is no such
0: thing. So how can our listeners find you on the web? Just Google for chocolate fish merino. Thanks so much, Amanda, for joining us. You're very welcome, Andrew. Around about now, outdoor and wildlife presenter Kate Humble is in Hawaii, preparing for an amazing four-day live broadcast on BBC2, Volcano Live. Now, although it's about as far away from Lanning live as you can get, Kate is the obvious choice for such an impressive but unpredictable broadcast, what with series like Springwatch under her belt. Back in April, before she flew across the world to sit on the top of a volcano, I caught up with her for a chat on the telephone as she made her way back from some quality walking time in the Lake District. And I started by asking, as she's well known for her science and wildlife programs, whether she's always had a love of the outdoors.
1: I have, yes. I was brought up in quite a rural bit of Berkshire and basically came from, well, I suppose partly from a generation and partly from a family where being outside was just an intrinsic part of every day and watching television wasn't. And Computers mercifully weren't invented. So, you know, that's really how I spent my childhood was doing all the things that um, health and safety seem to not let you do anymore, like, you know, ride bikes in a very irresponsible manner down very steep hills and uh, climb trees and, um, and and go for walks and ride horses.
0: Where are your favourite parts of Great Britain?
1: Um, that is an enormous question. Um, <laughs> but there are, I mean, the wonderful thing about this little island of ours is that it is so fantastically varied. I mean, you can't think of Great Britain without thinking of its great coastline. And and then when you start thinking about its coastline and you've asked me to pick one of my favourite bits of that, I'm not sure I could do it. You know, I mean, I now live in South Wales and relatively recently got to know the Gower Peninsula, which I would say would be right up there with one of my really favourite places place, isn't in it? Britain. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. And one of our kind of favourite things to do since we've been living in Wales is to uh, to spend Christmas Day down at the Gower, um, doing a great big beach and moorland walk, um, and you know that that's a, that seems like a really good way of uh, rounding off the year. Um, but that said, you know there are places like I adore Dartmoor. I'm in a car at the moment, not driving, uh, having come back from the Eden Valley and Arleswater in the sort of gateway to the Lake District, Um, a bit of the Lake District that I didn't know, a bit of the Lake District that many people don't really go to. Um, You know, people tend to head for the the better-known areas, Windermere and Keswick. I can thoroughly recommend that. I mean, you know, really wild countryside. And we were standing yesterday on the top of Ascombe Fell, looking out over Arleswater and all the fells sort of falling away in the distance. And we tend to think of Britain as being, you know, quite a small island that you don't get the big country feeling, those big vistas that you might get in, in America, for example, and yet we were standing on the top of Aspen Fell saying, we do live in a truly magnificent country, so there's another spot, you know, Snowdonia, magnificent, but then if you want something gentler, um, but still appealing for it, you go to, you know, the Chilterns, 40 minutes outside London, or half an hour outside London if the traffic's being kind to you, and you can walk through beautiful beach woods with red kites flying over, ahead so um and then you know you've got the peak district you've got the west coast of scotland you've got the east coast of scotland um it's a country just so rich with wonderful landscapes to explore
0: it was a bit of an unfair question wasn't it
1: it was beastly yeah
0: (laughs) so your two dogs big walkers
1: They are very big walkers. Uh, They're with me now, actually rather flaked out because we did a lot of walking yesterday. But we've got um, Badger and Bella, um, both rescue mongrels. Badger, when we first got him, he'd been very, very badly treated and had been rescued from a flat in, in Newport in South Wales where we think he was never actually let out. So we don't know how much walking he'd ever done until he came to live with us. Um, now he's become an expert-style leaper. Um, he can walk all day without stopping and then still wants to play Frisbee when you get home. Um, he he adores walking and he's a very, a, it's a sort of a perfect dog to walk with. He rarely goes on a lead as if, if we're nowhere near a road. He's um, very well behaved with animals because we've got farm animals at home, we've got sheep and, and what have you, so he knows right by us if we're anywhere near any animals but also i think because he's sort of naturally quite insecure because of his background um he always comes back to check that we're following him That's so he'll run ahead and then he'll come back and go are you coming we are like yeah yeah we're coming we just You're haven't got or drive yes exactly and um and bella our other little terrier um not quite as energetic as badger and we did once we quite often take the dog's um, in the camper van, and we go over to, to Europe as well. And we were camping in Austria a couple of summers ago and went up into the mountains. It was such a beautiful day, and we planned to do a kind of, couple of hours' walk and ended up walking the entire day because it was so beautiful. And um, we climbed quite a big mountain, and, and we were coming down it the other side, and Bella decided that she'd had enough, and she just sat down, and I had to put her in my rucksack and carry her down <laughs> carry her down the mountain with her, sort of, you know, her head and her front paws sticking out of to the top looking like kind of lady mark you know
0: <laughs> there's something about going out walking with dogs isn't there
1: it's it's a really um it kind of gives a purpose to a walk and i mean it does help um you know it, it is really important that um your dogs are well behaved or are kept on lead, you know that is something that's hugely important i think we've got to remember that um, uh, you know, the countryside is um, is a is a is a working environment as well as an environment that you know people like to do pleasurable things in. And and so, as dog owners, I think it is really important that we treat the countryside responsibly. But as you say, there is nothing more joyful than going for a walk or indeed a run. I'm I'm training for a cross country run at the moment, so I go with the dogs, and 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 that's really good fun. Except that they're never tired, and I'm always knackered by the end of it. <laughs>
0: And one of the great aspects of walking is seeing the wildlife on route. But I'm hopeless at identifying birds, so as the president of the RSPB, you'd be the right person to come along.
1: Well, I would I would hope I'd be a reasonable guide, yes. Um, I'm, you know, I'm... I'm 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 no expert, but it, there is something very wonderful about, as you say, walking and wildlife watching at the same time, and it's incredible. Often people will go for a walk and claim that they don't see anything, and it may be because they're walking, talking on a mobile phone, or chatting to their friends, and that's all fine too. But actually, there's something really lovely about going for a solitary walk, turning your phone off, and then just having a look at what's around you. And It's a very exciting time. So um, it's, a really, it's a really lovely time to go out. And, and to be honest, and this may not make me very popular with the RSPB membership, but I wouldn't worry too much about Knowing what something is called, I would just worry about noticing it and thinking, how lovely, what a fantastic bird, or look what I saw today. And maybe then you'll be inspired to go home and look it up and you'll know what it's called the next time.
0: That's a good idea. I'll do that the next time I'm out. So tell us about your farm.
1: Our farm is in a very beautiful spot uh, just outside the town of Monmouth in the Wye Valley. It's on a ridge above the River Wye, and it's a farm that belonged to the council. This used to be quite a common thing, that there were council-owned farms. And these small farms, often small farms, 100 acres or less, would be rented out to young farmers who perhaps didn't have access to a family farm for, for various reasons but sadly with the kind of economic pressures on every part of the country and every part of government whether it's national or local there's been sort of quite an incentive really for councils to sell off these farms Um, uh, but often not as a whole, um, broken up into into small fields, putting planning permission on the old buildings. And the problem with that is that we're losing a really valuable resource and, and a means for young people to stay in farming. So we approached the council when we found out that that's what they were going to do with this farm and said, you know, is there a way that we can try and keep it a whole farm, uh, keep it a working farm, keep it tenanted, but think of a, 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 you know, a clever way of um, it also becoming something that's valuable for the area and valuable for the local community. And so what we're doing with the farm, we we now own it, Um, it is still a working farm. We have uh, tenant farmers, Tim and Sarah, living on the farm um, with their sheep and cattle, and we're landing at the moment, which is very exciting. But what we're doing with the old buildings that... And no longer terribly useful for modern agriculture, is creating uh, a centre to teach people um, who might want to, to learn um, traditional rural skills like hedge laying or dry stone walling, as well as animal husbandry. So, if you woke up one morning, Andrew, and said, "You know what? I can't think of anything I'd like to do more than learn how to keep pigs," you can give me a ring, and we'll tell you how to do that.
0: That sounds good.
1: But what it what it does is that it well, it does two things really. It gives people people um, a kind of backstage pass to a real working farm, the sort of privilege that I had when I was doing um, series like Lambing Live, So people are coming to a genuine working farm, uh, seeing how that works, and having a very hands-on experience of working with livestock and working in the countryside. But the other thing that it does is, we hope anyway, that it will give people a sort of a reason to perhaps come to a part of the country, to Monmouthshire, that they wouldn't have thought of before. And when we persuade them to come to Monmouthshire, we can then show them what a really fantastic county it is, particularly for walkers. The walking around there is really spectacular. In fact, it was almost one of our well it was pretty much top of our list when we were looking for a place to live and Monmouthshire really did tick all our boxes particularly as far as walking was concerned
0: Kate it's been lovely to talk to you good luck with the volcanoes and thanks for coming on our podcast
1: thank you very much indeed for asking me